Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. What's up, 10 o'clock? Let's go. It's December. I have never in my life been more unprepared for a December and a new year. 2024 sounds like uh, the sci-fi movies I used to watch, and that's the year if stuff was happening. Like, I can't believe we don't have a single flying car. I'm disappointed. Maybe January's when we get one. Uh, but today we are jumping into December, whether we're ready or not. Ready or not, here we go. Uh, and so we're in a series called Owned. And in this series, what I kind of want to talk to you about, what I want you to um, feel and, and experience is um, to be owned by God, to, to really be, find your value in Him. So we're going to jump into this series today, and today I want to help you see your value. With everything in me, I pray that you can hear how val- valuable you are to God. Next week, we'll talk about things that would like to own you. Um, so it's just a two-week series, and then after that, we're going to do Christmas at the movies on the 17th, and then on the 24th, we're not going to be in building, we're going to do Christmas online, so you're going to be online, we know that you want to be with your family, you want to find an opportunity to share the gospel with your family, help them see and remember what the season is about, we also know this, that all of us on staff and your leaders want to be with their family too on Christmas Eve, so we're going to be here like I guess we got to be at church because we feel guilty if we're not because it's Christmas. So we decided to let loose and not be led by guilt, but to resource, resource each other with this opportunity to connect with our family. But today, uh, I want you to see your value and, and to kind of feel what it is like to be owned by God. I'm um, going to ask a couple questions to see if this fits you yet, right? Some of you may be in the wrestle of whether or not to follow Jesus, whether or not you are a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're just it's Christmas season, you're trying to figure it out. Maybe someone's guilting you into coming to church because it's Christmas season. You're still wrestling with your faith, and maybe this doesn't, some of this doesn't apply to you just yet. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, um, it means we're owned by God. So here's the questions to make sure that you're there. Um, one is, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? And two, did you count the cost? Did you count the cost? Because if you, if you decided to follow Jesus, um, what it means for us as followers of Jesus, that we found out we couldn't do it on our own. That the whole point of the gospel, the whole good news is that you and I were lost and Jesus found us. That you and I were broken in our sin and couldn't do life on our own and that we needed a Savior and Jesus saved us. That me and you, if we're followers of Jesus, if this message is for you because you're in the owned category, it means you're owned by God, you belong to God, it means that you came to the end of yourself and you found out, all right, I'm not good on my own. I need Jesus. I need a savior. I need, I, need, I need someone to pay the way for me that I couldn't pay for myself. So you fit that category. You're owned by God. Now, if you're like me, if you have my, any even close to my personality, that, you don't like that statement at all. Like you're owned by God. Don't tell me I'm free. I do what I want. I'm a grown man. Jared telling me I'm owned by somebody. I don't like it either. I'm uncomfortable, right? Every time like there's some, anything that feels like control, I'm like, I'm really rebellious about like this. I feel like a trapped animal. I mean, the littlest stuff, I'm petty. All right, I'm petty. So like if my wife is like, hey, will you do this for me? I'm like, absolutely, I'll do that. The second she says how to do it, I feel like, don't, don't tell me what to do. Don't, don't come. I was going to do it, but now that you're telling me how to do it, I'm not doing it your way. I'll find a different way to do it. I'm petty in how I feel controlled. And yet what I've accepted and realized is that I'm owned by God. And even when I don't like it, 
I'm going to trust his ways and his ways of doing it, right? Even if I'm like, no, God, I'll do my own thing. He's like, no, 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 you'll do my thing. And I trust him enough to, to allow that. I trust him enough to follow him in that. And there's a scripture, and what we're going to get to today in this scripture is uh, we're going to have some context to it. That is, uh, we're going to talk about something that if you have little kids in here and you haven't had the talk yet, uh, I'm going to just say the word. It's not going to get very explicit, but just in case, I just want to give you a warning. Unless, unless you're planning on starting a sentence, when two people love each other uh, today, then maybe take their ki- your kids to life, kids. All right, we're ready to jump in. We're going to give context to these verses that will bring that up. Uh, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are not your own. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is, the, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he's saying you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so um, today, what I want you to see is, is how, much you, how much he paid for you. That if he, w- if he bought you at a price, um, we look at that price, he emptied heaven of its most valuable resource. He found the most expensive thing that existed in all of heaven and paid that price for you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. This season, Christmas, as we process this gift, he gave you a gift. And, and to, to, to value that gift is that you respect it and you appreciate it and you take care of it. It means you value the gift God gave, that he, he gave his son wrapped and swaddling clothes, and it was the gift to the world, it was a gift to you, for you, individually, to say, I love you this much, here's my son, that's how much I love you, that's the price that was paid for you, and your choice is to whether or not you own that, whether you can own that so that you can be owned by him, do you own the gift that God gave you, the price that was paid for you, do you own the fact that God has done something for you, and really respect it with your life, it goes, he, he, he says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you, I, maybe you grew up in church hearing that a lot and it kind of is a phrase that doesn't mean a whole lot other than somebody uses it as an excuse to tell you not to get tattoos. Some of you growing up in church are like, oh yeah, I know that tells me not to get tattoos. Uh, no, I think it's way deeper than that. Whether that's true or not is a whole different story. I think it's way deeper about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, don't miss out because you've heard it so often as a kid or you've heard it before. Your physical body has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of it. When you're a follower of Christ, when you're owned by him, the Holy Spirit is in you. That, that means it's something. It matters. What you do with it matters. And what he's saying in these, in these verses, it shows up. He's telling you what you do with your body, what you do with your life, it, it, it matters. In the context uh, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, he's, he's actually saying it in the context of sexual morality. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, uh, he's talking to the church, and he actually gets really aggressive, like one of the most aggressive scriptures uh, that I know of with the church. He's saying, listen, there's a guy who has some sexual morality. He's actually sleeping with his stepmother. That's his sexual morality, and he's saying, this is unacceptable, and it's unacceptable that y'all are allowing it. He says, expel the evil from among you. He's very serious about what this guy's doing. And then it goes on in chapter 7 to talk about sexual morality and how to handle marriage and how to, how to keep it within the confines of marriage. So there's all of this thing, but in the middle of that, he's saying, you're bought at a price. Your body is a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. He, he, in, those, in the context of that, he's saying, you, you're not allowed to just sleep with anybody. You can't, you can't just go sleep with a prostitute because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The context of what he's saying is about sexual morality, but I think it applies to all the areas. I think it applies to how we live our life and recognizing like 
there's value in what God paid for me. And then I'm going to live like there's value, right? All of us, if you're a follower of Christ, if you fit in this category, if you've paid the, if you decided I'm going to count the cost, I'm going to follow Jesus, he says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And for all of us, we're going to recognize and see like how, how we live that out may, may be different for all of us. How we, how, what that means for us and how we, what our next steps are in being the temple. But it does mean, if you're a follower of Christ, that you respect the gift that God gave you and you live a life that shows that kind of respect, that kind of value in it. The, the kind of thing in my, like I said, my prayer is that you see how valuable you really are. Now, if you're like me, uh, it's kind of a weird context. Like, what, what is, like, why are you making this thing about that thing? What is, what does sexual morality have to do with the price I was paid? Why are you elevating your, your, your price so high to tell me not to do these things that don't seem like that big of a deal, right? Like, it's just like, it's two consenting adults. What's the big deal? Why is it about my value? Because there are some of us that um, in following Jesus, the hardest part is, is our fear and what we're afraid of. And we, we chicken out on the things God has called us to next. And so we don't do it. But then there are some of us that it's like the little pleasures that'll trap us. It's like the little things that we justify in our life that are like, ah, it's not that big a deal. Man, I drink a little bit too much. It's not that big a deal. I, I mean, maybe it's two consenting adults. What's the big deal, Pastor Jared? It's like, does it really matter that much? And I think for me, what I found is the only thing that, that stopped me, the only thing that helped me like, actually justify not giving in to those momentary pleasures that I justified and thought, oh, they're not that big a deal, is realizing how big the call of God and the value of God on my life is to realize that these things might trap me and stop me from getting all of what God has for me and seeing the value. And what these scriptures are saying is that in this moment, when you give into those, you are communicating what your value is. You're communicating your, you, you value this moment more than you value the call of God, the price that was paid for you, the gift of God in your life. You're willing to give up the future of all that God has for you. You're willing to give up the plans of God in your life to, to have this brief moment, this moment of pleasure, this one thing. And it's so hard to, to, to say no to this thing unless God's call is big enough. Unless someone has instilled in you, unless you've read in Scripture and you have enough faith to realize, no, God loves me. God valued me. This, this is not worth it. This is not, this is not worth it in this moment. The beautiful thing about God is that his, his dream for us and his plans for us is all those desires that, that, we're, that we're longing for, the thing that we really want, he's planning on fulfilling it's just about fulfilling it in the right time. All the things that you're longing for in your life, that God gave you the desires of your heart. He put those things in there. There's things you want, and he's just saying, trust me enough. Trust me enough to, to know that I've got more value, and my ways are better than your ways. I've got a plan for you. I've got a desire for you. I've got a dream for you. Trust me enough to follow me, find out. And so in all the areas of our life, we go, you know what's most valuable? The price he paid for me. Not the momentary pleasure. Not the momentary escape from life. Not any, any of the things, right? It's not just sex. We're talking about how we consume food, how we choose to exercise or not exercise. All the things that affect this temple. Whether we're going to choose to stay lazy or work hard or overwork and not take a day off. All the things in which we decide what we communicate with our life, there's value. There's value in this. Most of us want our freedom. Like, I want to do whatever I want. I heard a quote this week. It said, freedom is a great horse to ride as long as it's going somewhere. Freedom is a great horse to ride as long as it's going somewhere. 
it, it's great to have certain freedoms and, and, and I'm grateful to live in a country with so many freedoms and all the sacrifices that brought us here. But unless there's a point to it on the other end, the disciplines aren't worth it. Discipline for the sake of dis- discipline is awful, okay? If, you, if you're that type of person who just loves pain and just loves suffering by doing hard things, good for you, but the rest of us like to live, you know what I'm saying? Like to have life and like to have fun every once in a while. So, but just having freedom to do anything is chaos. And until you recognize that there is something for you, that God has a design for your life, that he bought you for a purpose, that he paid a price for you, it's not worth it to give up on the little things. It's not worth it to get rid of the momentary pleasures, the momentary release of this anxiety and this stress by drinking too much, smoking too much, all the stuff that we do to get out of just this moment. But if, if I go, no, 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 God's got more. This thing is worth it. On the other end, the goal line, the the dream that God has for me is is worth it. Then then you'll say no to some things. You'll say, you know what? Freedom isn't really worth it. What is worth it is where I'm going, where I'm heading. I'll give you a silly example. Um, This time of year, we're talking about football. We've got college football playoffs are deciding. We've got bowl games we're deciding. Football's happening everywhere. And in football, uh, there are constraints. Whether you like it or not, there are constraints, right? Not everybody gets to play every position right? Lineman, you don't get to be the quarterback. You just, you just, yeah, you and if, if we decided, let's just be, let's just have everybody be free. Why are we putting all this constraint on all these players? Like, how dare you tell that wide receiver he has to be a wide receiver? Today, he wants to be a running back. How dare you tell the quarterback he has to stay right there? He needs freedom. He needs to live however he wants to. It would be utter chaos, and no one would make it to the goal line. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, or maybe you guys didn't play this game. We played just tackle the man with the ball. Anybody remember that? Just tackling me with the ball. Uh, who won that game? Absolutely nobody. You just got beat up. Just tackle the man with the ball. It was freedom. There was a lot of freedom, but there was no goal line. It was just try not to get tackled. You get, came in all beat up, all bruised up. You would, if you didn't want to get tackled, you threw the ball. If you did get tackled, someone was going to rip it out of your hands, and you just got beat up. It was freedom. There was no constraint. Everybody got to be the quarterback. Everybody got to be the running back. We all could do whatever we wanted at all times, but there was no winning. There was no goal at the other end. And there are things in your life that are worth being in the game for. There's value in you that it's worth saying no to a lot of things so that you can be in the game that God has called you to be in, to live the life God has called you to, to say, you know what? No. See, I don't don't want you to get to a place where you're just legalistic, where you're just like, I don't do that because whatever. No, I'm not going to do that because Jesus told me not to. No, I'm not going to do that because there's more value in me than that thing is worth. Because I'm called to be in the game, not just a spectator. I'm not called to just think about the things of God. I'm called to live out the dreams of God because he bought me at a price. I'm owned by him, and I want to do the thing he's called me to do. If he calls me to be quarterback, I want to be the quarterback. If he calls me to be the wide receiver, I want to be the wide receiver. If I'm on defense, I want to be on defense because I trust him, because I'm owned by him, because I want to get to the goal line. Listen, every, the guy on the couch at home, he's got freedom to do whatever he wants. He can, he can do whatever he wants. He can get up in the middle of the game and run out there, just go get him some cake. Just go, just eat, eat all the cake while he's watching TV and tell that quarterback how bad he's not throwing the ball, right? Like, oh, I can throw it better than that, just eating cake, drinking beer, eating cake. You got that freedom. But let me just tell you, you get in the game and somebody says, hut, and you got a lineman over there just eating cake. Something went terribly wrong in that game because there are constraints in the game. There are restrictions in the game, but the restrictions are for a purpose. To say the value of you is what you can do for the team. The value of you is what you can do for the game. The value in you that I've paid for, that I've recruited you for, that I've bought you for, is what you can do to make sure that we win, 
to take ground for the kingdom, and you have value in the game. It's worth saying no to a few things to say yes to the best things. Now, there's a guy in scripture that until this week, I always thought he got kind of an unfair shape. Like just didn't, I don't know why everybody's so hard on him. The New Testament's hard on him. His name is Esau. So let's take a look at what uh, they say about Esau. It's found in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 and 16. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. For a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. A lot of that blows my mind. Just those two verses. And if you read through scripture, the best thing you can do when you get confused is just start asking questions, right? Like, falls short of the grace of God. That's the first question I've got. I thought his grace was bountiful, right? Many of us grew up thinking like, I can do what I want. I can live how I want because I can just ask for forgiveness. See, for me, finding out the value of God on my life mattered. Finding out that God loved me that much and the price he paid is the thing that helped me actually say no to a lot of things because I didn't want to fall short of the grace. Falling short of the grace is a lot of freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. To find the grace is to step into it and trust him in it. And it says Esau is godless? What does Esau selling his birthright have to do with sexual uh, immorality? It doesn't even tie in. It doesn't even make sense. Like, he just sold his birthright. Uh, if you know Esau's story, Esau um, was the oldest of, of two, and uh, they were actually twins. So he was oldest by like a minute. He came out of the womb first. They were twins, came out of the womb. His brother was Jacob, and, and he got the birthright. And you would think, well, it's not that big a deal. But in Jewish custom, the birthright came with everything. Firstborn got basically everything. Everybody else kind of got nothing. So the, the, it was kind of a big deal in the family, but even still, godless? You're going to describe Esau as godless? That seems a little bit harsh. And so what happened to Esau is he went out hunting and gathering. He was doing his thing. He was kind of a man's man out hunting and gathering. He comes in, and he's like thinks he's dying of starvation. And he's, he thinks he's dying of starvation, thinks he's not going to make it. And he asks his brother Jacob, who's cooking stew. It, it seems like Jacob actually knows what he's doing. He's about to manipulate his brother out of his birthright. He's like, you hungry? I got some stew right here. Uh, and, and Esau comes in and sees it, and he's like, I'm dying, man. I, I need some stew. And he's like, well, that's fine. I'll give you a bowl of stew if you want to sell your birthright to me. And Esau's response seems reasonable to me. He's like, well, I'm going to die anyways. I might as well, I might as well give up my birthright. Otherwise, I'm going to die. So it, might, it seems like an even trade. It seems to make sense. Like, if I, what am I going to do with a birthright if, if I'm dead? So it doesn't, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll eat this too because I think I'm dying of starvation. And so Esau trades his birthright. And yet, calls him godless. That's a, he didn't value his birthright means he's godless. Here's what it says. Uh, let's read the verse that it ends with in, in Genesis chapter 25, verse 34. It says, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate and drank, then got up and went out. So Esau despised his birthright. It, it says he despised his birthright. Like, here's one of the, like, scholarly notes that was, uh, that they wrote about to talk about it. To despise in this context means to treat something as worthless or with contempt. Esau's willingness to sell his birthright was evidence that he considered it to be unimportant. I get it. I get, I, I get that he didn't value the gift, but godless? God, that's a, I mean, I, I don't know if you're with me. Maybe you're, maybe you're harsher on Esau than I was, but, or, or less harsh than I was. But like, to me, godless seems like an extreme to say that about him. Like He just didn't value what he was given. And yet Scripture says when we don't value the gift God gave us, godlessness is the description. Why? Why is that? 
Why is it that that, that that might be called godless? The thing that we don't value today, the gift of God today, we're, we're missing out on tomorrow. I get all that. I mean, we're missing out on the future of what we could be and what we could do. But maybe the value that we have isn't always just about us. M- maybe it's godless because for Esau, he was only thinking about him. He was only thinking about how giving up his birthright would affect him. I'm starving, so I need to eat. And it shows that he, Esau was about himself. Let's take a look at one of the contexts, and we'll read some more uh, scholarly notes to see the context. It's found in verse 30 of Genesis chapter 25. It says, So Esau said to Jacob, Feed me some of the red stuff. Yes, this red stuff, because I'm starving. That is why he was also called Edom. That's weird. Again, another more weird verse. You've got to ask a lot of questions. Um, and so he's saying, like, the red stuff, the, what, what, Edom, what does that have to do with anything? It really is, like, just out of nowhere. Why are they, why does he call it red stuff twice? And then why do they describe Edom? And uh, they give some historical context this way. Esau's descendants would eventually be called Edom. Edom was the place where they lived, so named because of the reddish nature of the hills. The writer can use the word red to describe the stew that Esau gasped for to convey the nature of Esau and his descendants. Now catch this description of Esau's descendants. They were a lusty, passionate, and profane people who lived for the moment. Esau's heritage, Esau's bloodline, was a lusty, passionate, and profane people. That's, that's a, a description. I would argue that his decision to live in the moment, to live selfishly and not think about the heritage, not think about his kids, not think about, because you can pass the, the, the birthright down. But he's giving it up altogether and saying, forget my kids, forget my grandkids. I'm rid of all of it because in this moment, I'm starving. I'm going to live in the moment. I've got freedom. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, except it costs your kids and your grandkids. The, the generations after him, what he devalued, hit the next generation desecrated. And it's true for you too. The things in your life that you don't value, the things in your life that just don't seem like that big of a deal, you're like, ah, what does it affect? What does it matter? The next generation will desecrate. That, that, that in our life, if we don't break the generational curse, if we don't step up and say, you know what, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna value this thing that you gave me, this place that you gave me. It's not just about us. The reason I think, I think Esau is called godless is, is not just because it was a simple like, oh, he made a bad choice. No, no, no. He didn't care about anybody but himself in that moment. That fixing of that desire, that one moment, he was willing to sacrifice generations of things for that one moment. So for those of us who are owned by God, who say our value is in him and we trust his value, when, when we give in to what seems like, ah, it's just two consenting adults, ah, it's just a third slice of cake, ah, it's just a little bit drinking too much, ah, it's just whatever, or like it's not that big of a deal, maybe it's exactly what you're setting up to be the, the hill, the mountain that your kids have to climb. It, it wasn't a big deal for you. It was just a simple thing. It didn't really affect your life, but it might destroy theirs. The thing you're wrestling with that you can kind of be functioning with right now may be the thing that takes them under because you are passing it on. When you don't defeat the giant that is in front of you, you are leaving that giant for the next generation. And guess what? Giants get bigger. The thing that you just kind of wrestle with is the thing that is going to kill them. And some of you know what I'm talking about because it was you. Your family left you with giants to face. Your family devalued something and now you have seen people desecrate it over and over again and now you've got to wrestle with anger issues. 
Now you've got to fight with how to eat right because no one showed you how to do it. You've got to fight with the generational curse because no one showed you how to value your gift. You will have an uphill climb because generations before you let you down. They devalued the call, the gift of God. They didn't show up and say, you know what? God is good and faithful and I'll trust and now you're paying the cost. That's why Esau is considered godless because it just didn't affect him. And for many of you today, you're paying for it and it's time to say, you know what? My kids won't. I value the call of God too much. I value the gift of God too much. My kids won't pay it. I, I'm going I'm to let it stop with me. I'm not going to pass this thing on. I'm not going to just wrestle it. I'm going to defeat it because the value and the gift of God and the goal line is there and he's got a plan. He's got a dream for my life that's bigger than me. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do because the goal line is worth it. The dream of God is worth it. And because I don't want to pass it on. I don't want a single generation past me to deal with what my parents or my grandparents fought because it stops with me. And for those of you who, who are kind of on the fence, Right? I, I said most of this is about um, those of us who have decided to follow Jesus. And for some of you who are on the fence, you're like, well, this kind of settles it. I don't want to be owned. <laughs> I'm free. I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want. And so we think the idea is that we have the option of either being owned or be free. Right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you, the option is like, do I want to be owned by God? Do I want to say no to all these fun things that are fun in the moment? Or do I want to be free? But I would argue the option is not owned or free. It's about who you're going to be slave to. Scripture tells us that we're a slave to our sin. That outside of Jesus, we are a slave to our sin. I would argue that if you don't follow Jesus, it's not that you're free. It's just you're a slave to your sin. You know, humanity should be really easy. Like living life, it should, it should be easy. It, it really isn't that complicated. We have enough science and data. We know all the right supplements. We know all the right, like, routines to have. Like, just eat these things. I mean, we've got, like, a whole, we got charts of what things to eat and what things to not eat. We've got, like, here's, what you're, here's how you should sleep. Here's what your sleep pattern should be, and here's when you should wake up. We even have the right times of day to go outside and get sunlight because we're basically just complicated plants, right? Just show up, get sunlight between these hours, and it's the best vitamin D you're going to get. What, 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 what are you talking about? Yeah, that's it. We're complicated plants. Go out during these times, lift a few heavy things, get some cardio, eat right. It should not be complicated. And I would argue that that, the fact that it should be so easy to go, you know what? What they said to me was about them, not me. I should be able to forgive. It should be easy. All the things that we should do to just love our neighbor ethereally, it sounds easy, but it is the hardest thing in the world to just be human, just to be kind to our neighbor, just to eat right. I know I'm going to feel like garbage in a couple hours if I eat this, but it sure sounds good right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I know it's going to be miserable tomorrow. If I do this, I'm going to have a terrible day tomorrow, but I'll get like 30 minutes of a real good buzz on right now. And yet we keep doing it over and over again. I would argue that it's because we're a slave to our sin. You think you're free. You would be, a, if you were really free and you really had control of you, you would be a specimen of a human. I mean, just crushing it at your job because you'd have no trouble showing up on time, crushing it with your diet, crushing it with your exercise. Your relationships would be a breeze because you just love people. It's so simple, except it's not. And it shows that we are a slave to our sin. So today, I'm not asking you to choose to, whether, who to, to be owned or to be free. I'm asking you to choose who your master is. Is it your sin or is it the, or is it the one who died for your sins? 
the one who came to set you free and to find out that like, no, 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 I, I came to set you free. I know it sounds hard to give up a few things, but I promise it's worth it. I know it sounds difficult to say no to a few things in your life, but I promise you it's worth it to, to give up on these things, to say yes to all the best things, to give up on all the other stuff because the reality is for all of us, at some level, we've been sold out. Whether it was all the way back to Adam and Eve and the sin that brought us, we've been sold out and it is our job to go back and let what's been paid for be paid for because where we were sold into slavery with all the sin in our generation and and, and our heritage and our bloodline all the sin sold us out and we fight things that we shouldn't have had to fight because of generational curses and Jesus came and paid our debt we were sold into slavery and Jesus said no I got you I'll die my blood will set you free I'll pay the price for your slavery so that you can be really free in me If you'll just trust me, I'll lead you to freedom. And none of us perfect it. Like, I'm not saying, like, I'm not suggesting that once you follow Jesus, you just hit all the things. Like, you get the sunlight, you eat right, all your relationships are perfect, but you start to slowly work out of your flesh all of the pain and the sin and the guilt and the shame. All the things that you carry with you start to work out of your flesh as you follow him because he paid it. He already paid the price. All you got to do is start breaking chains off. All you got to do is start walking and start trusting and saying, all right, cool, I'm going to say no to all that you tell me to say no to. I'm going to say yes to all that you tell me to say yes to because I trust you because you paid the way. You paid the way for my sin, my guilt, and my shame because I was a slave to myself. I was a slave to my sin, my guilt, my shame, and you set me free, so I'll trust you. And I'll trust your value that you placed in me, that you really did believe in me before anybody else did. You really did die on the cross for my sins while I was still a sinner, while I still looked rough. You love me anyways. And for all of us, the goal is to just stay in his hands. It's, it's not perfection. We're not, we're not going to get there. This, the goal is just to stay in his hands. I got, this, is, this is why, this, if you've been wondering why this is on the ground, why I brought it up here, it's not because I was drinking moonshine today. It's, uh, it's actually because uh, this jar, it's actually authentic mason. I brought it because it represents us. We from Oklahoma, and a mason jar is fitting, but a fancy mason jar because you have value. But this, this thing represents us. And, and this moment, this thing is, is all about whether or not it stays in the right hands. This is ac- really useless in the cupboard. If no one ever picks it up, no one ever puts it in their hands, no one ever fills it up, no one ever drinks out of it, it's absolutely useless. It's just glass. But in the right hands, somebody who's dying of thirst, they can save. In the right hands, this thing can, can do amazing things. This thing is refreshing. It is, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It has been poured into something that can be overflowing. It's a breath of fresh air for people who can't breathe. It is the thing that everybody needs. What what this thing can be, if it just stays in the right hands, what this thing can be is the light of the world. It just has to stay in the right hands. And these hands sometimes will, if you stay in God's hands and you trust God with your life and you say, all right, God, I may not be valuable in and of myself. I may just be a pile of glass in and of myself, but in your hands, you are the perfect glass maker and you can turn this thing into everything it ever needed to be and I'll trust you. And there are times where he will pour into you and he will pour you out and you will give a fresh drink of water to people. The people around you will hear your story and you'll go, I didn't think I could do anything. And somehow God used me because you stayed in his hands. You just trusted that his ways are better. All the no's, all the yes's. And then there are times where he takes you and he cleans you up. 
He washes you out because things went bad. You had some trauma. You had some stuff that took place and he takes you to the sink and he washes you. It all, it looks different. Being the temple of God in different seasons and different places, the yeses you say to, yes to, the noes you say no to, all of those things change based on the season and what God's called you to be. The only thing that's required of us is to stay in his hands, is to trust that we have more value in his hands than we have anywhere else, that we can trust him and trust his hands in our life and that he will take us to places that we could have never got to on our own that he can take us to the goal line if we just trust the position on the team, if we'll just trust the thing that he's telling us to do, the yeses, the noes, we just trust him that we have value in his hands. The difference between us and this actual glass is that um, we have the choice to jump out. If I drop this, it's because I'm, I've, I don't play football and I fumble a lot, right? If I drop this, I'm messed up. But his hands don't mess up. If this thing breaks, it's because it jumped out of his hand. It was like, no, nah, I do, ah, no. Nah. I don't want to be, have water in my glass. I want to have Coca-Cola in my glass today. I don't want to be clean today. I want to pour out today. And it just jumps. And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to do it my way. I want this thing right now. I want this deal right now. And when it jumps, it shatters. And we keep finding out over and over again, outside of his hands, we don't have value. And we hurt ourselves. And today, I'm praying and, and hoping that you really feel how much value you have in his hands how much he has for you, what he paid for you. He paid the highest price just to have you in his hands. And I pray that you trust that with every fiber of your being. And if you're in here and you find yourself shattered in the moment, that's okay. He knows how to remold the glass. He knows how to fix it to make it look like it was part of the plan anyways. This is the craziest thing that God does. You will have stuff in your life that you think, man, I messed that thing up so bad, but it looks like it was God's plan all along. No, no, no. Your sin wasn't his plan. Your mistake wasn't his plan. But scripture says he works all things out for the good. And somehow, some way, he takes even the broken parts and make them look like they were part of the beauty of the glass all along. It's all about whose hands you're in, though. It's all about trusting him with every yes, every no. I, and, and what that looks like practically is going to differ for all of you. But I'm praying that your, your life is prayerful. All the yeses, like from top down, big decisions, small decisions, you are prayerful on every step, every decision, from the songs you listen to, to the words you speak, to the clothes you wear, it's all in his hands. Like the big stuff, the little, what house I buy, what job I take, big stuff, little stuff, it's in his hands because I found out He's got more for me. He knows more about me, and he's got bigger dreams than I ever dreamed for myself. So, all right, God, take me. Use me. Let me be a part of your team. Let me find value in you. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.